Welcome back to the Enjoy the Walk podcast. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed that Monday episode, Dante. That was a trip down memory lane yesterday. Yes, it and, was. Uh, it was very reminiscent. For sure. <laughs> we, we had our we had our time to to reach back in the bag and and pull out those old memories. And, and always a good time to to have Grumman on the show. And uh, you know, but excited to kind of go back to some also some uh, some memory lane road down uh, down Winter Park Lane. I think is is where we're headed this time around and uh, excited to have on the show. Uh, you know, we've tried time and time again to get more female presence on the show because we, you know, we've seen what it can do for, for the women's game and just a little bit of growth we've been able to have in our own platform. And, um, you know, women and girls alike love hearing, you know, the people in the industry on the women's side of things, the advocates for the game. And I think, when you talk about advocates for the game, especially on you know the media side of things, there's no better advocate to look at than Samantha Marks, and, and we're really happy to have you joining us today. Samantha, how are things in Florida? Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Things are good. I went to the beach today. People were not acting a fool, so that was you know always a plus. You know, Florida man is alive and well here, so we have to keep it. Keep him tame, but uh, you, you did mention the beach, and I gotta, I gotta ask. You know, Florida was under some scrutiny for keeping those beaches open for a while. You had the spring breakers, the typical, you know, twenty, twenty to twenty-four year olds causing some havoc early on. Ha- has it died down a little bit? Well, a lot of them, a lot of the beaches are still closed. So I went to one, like there's New Smyrna Beach, which is the most popular one in Central Florida. That one you can only do physical activity at so you physically cannot like they will not let you just sit there and sunbathe <laughs> which is more so what people were doing quote unquote wrong you know like sitting in big groups of 20 30 people and that's kind of defeating the purpose so i went to coco beach um today which was much better everybody was very far apart it was still a lot of people but i mean you're not it just went with one person it was you know it was good it was nice to be out there it was 75 degrees sunny not a cloud in the sky so can't beat it got to take advantage of that. Well, I mean, we up here, up in Northerners, whenever we see that, we take advantage of it. That's just the norm down there. Yeah, it's been cloudy here a lot recently, though. So I saw the UV index was 10, and I was like, we got to go get that tan on. There you go. <laughs> you guys have that opportunity a lot more than we do up here, yep. but, you know, I can't can't fault you for getting out. I'm jealous. That's awesome. That's a, that's a great luxury to have. Um, and uh, you mentioned a little earlier before we got on the on on the air here that uh, you live right on Winter Park, and I think I want to we'll just jump right into that. You know, Dante and I were down there for the PGA show, and it kind of changed our perspective of of how great golf can be in a in a community and and how vital it can be to a community. Um, touch on a little bit, you know, of why you decided to make your residence there, and and how great just having that as your backyard is. Yeah, so I'm from Winter Park originally, moved away for college, moved away for my first job. And then when I found myself back in Orlando, I knew that Winter Park was where I wanted to live again. I do love downtown Orlando, but it's just not as, not as you know, family feel, if that makes sense. With still a side of the city. The city, downtown Orlando is just, you know, grungy, dirty city. So I knew I wanted to live in Winter Park. Um, just bought a house about six weeks ago, right on number seven, Winter Park nine. My parents live on number eight. Um, so just two blocks up, it's super awesome, super close with them, hang out with them every day. So it's been awesome to, um, before, you know, the coronavirus hit to go out there and play a few holes or even the putting green is right outside of my mom and dad's front door. Um, so we just have a lot of family time centered around golf, which is nothing new for us, but um, yeah, Winter Park is a really special town. And if anybody is ever in Central Florida, it's, I think, the best place to go. So I, I, t- uh, I tell you what, we, we might agree with you in that, I think, Dante, in, in saying Winter Park is one of those special places uh, with, within this world that uh, it's like you said, Samantha, it's that you have downtown Orlando that's, you know, city feel, kind of grungy, as, as most large cities are at, that are constantly growing, construction everywhere, noises, you know, the nine of a, a typical growing, bustling city. And then you, you kind of step out maybe 20, 25 minutes into Winter Park and uh, on a good day with traffic and and you almost like you said you get that feel of of home of small town vibe even though you're really not that far outside the city and, and it was pretty neat to uh, not only experience a golf course but just experience the community around it because it is very small town vibe yeah we've always just said you know because people won't know where winter park is so if you you know when you meet people you just say you live in north orlando because it is 
I mean, maybe a 15 minute drive max from downtown. So it's nice. There's everything, you know, there's, since I grew up here, I can't take a walk down Park Ave without seeing somebody that I know. And that's something that I like. A lot of people freak out about that. They're like, oh, I just don't want to be seen. You know, I don't want to see my seventh grade crush in Publix. And I'm like, no, it's cool. Like, <laughs> I like it like that. You know, you get to see people and it makes you feel not so alone, which sounds really depressing, but it's true. Like you get to see a lot of people that, you know, and my parents' friends are around here. So it's nice. in, in times like this, I think that, that, that kind of statement resonates a little, a little more with even the folks that didn't previously feel maybe alone or, or ostracized. It's like, man, like even the people you don't know, like, man, remember that guy with like the orange hat that I would just ev- always see? Like I miss mm-hmm. seeing him, you know, exactly. just, just, even the most random people you kind of miss seeing when you're, when you're stuck at home for this long. Definitely. It's something to never take for granted again, I don't think so. Absolutely. Now, now let's, let's jump into also, you know, you, you said you grew up in the Winter Park area. Um, how'd you grow up, obviously, in the game near the course? You said your parents grew up on the course, but is that how you were really introduced to the game was through the Winter Park 9? No, no, no. So we were members, we've been members at Interlochen, which is five minutes up the road since I was, who maybe like six or seven and so I grew up playing there, um, Interlochen's a private course here in Winter Park as well. Um, and my mom actually started playing when she met my dad. So then when I was born, it was always like a family thing with them. Um, and I started competing when I was six. So I started competing really young, um, traveling everywhere for golf. Um, but Winter Park, Orlando, Florida, you know, Southeast is a great place to do it because you can do it year round. So, um, yeah, it's been fun. It's a good, it's a good area for us. I mean, there's easy access to an airport for traveling. It's, there's a lot of pluses for us here, but yeah, so that is kind of how I grew up here. Now, I think, uh, you know, you mentioned interlocking it and a lot of people throughout the years seem to travel there for competitive golf, whether it's junior golf, you know, intercollegiate play, I think even sometimes sees itself being played there. Um, and, and it's just really cool to see that, like, you've kind of had that basis of, of very high competitive end golf from the start. Um, you, you mentioned a little, too, you traveled a lot. Where, where were some of your, you know, favorite trips as a kid throughout junior golf? And, and what did that, you know, girls' junior golf scene look like as you were coming through the ranks? So we traveled a lot and everywhere. I was very fortunate that my parents had the means to do that. For me, a lot of people, you know, aren't as lucky and stayed, you know, more so in their state, the state tournaments, Florida State, stuff like that. Um, For me, it was more so I played in a lot of AJGAs pretty young, um, which is, I mean, I don't know how to say it, but like the top junior tour for kids growing up. Um, So we started at a young age traveling um, to anywhere from, you know, there were some in Orlando, some in Miami, some in Oregon, like we went all over the place. one that sticks out to me was Sun River, Oregon, was probably one of my favorite trips. Um, we went with another family and we stayed at the big resort there. It's like a golf course, a community, um, one of those self-sufficient communities where there's stores and restaurants and everything like right there in the golf course. And it was right on the base of a mountain. They had horseback riding and bicycles. And so it was not just a golf tournament that we went to play. It was more so the experience. And that's something that stuck with me. Um, we also played in a lot of the U S kids stuff, which every year was at, you know, Pinehurst and always ended on number two. So, I mean, I've played some, some pretty fantastic courses, um, been very fortunate in that aspect, but I would say that those two maybe are some of the ones that stand out to me. We also, would travel a lot to Texas because my extended family lives there. My mom's friends live there. My parents are from there. So we would, if there was ever a USGA qualifier where we just were like, Hey, we want to get out of the Florida and go somewhere else. We would pick Texas most of the time, or we try to go somewhere where we had friends who lived there. So we could at least, we, yeah, we were flying, but we weren't going to pay for a hotel, pay for stuff like that. So Uh, My parents were very smart looking back on it, trying to figure everything out, especially because I am their only child and it's not like they've had a practice run before this to figure it out. But looking back on it, we, uh, we figured it out pretty well. You know, it's funny you say that I'm an only child as well. And looking back on everything, it's like for the amount of stuff my parents got right for only doing it once, God exactly. bless them. Cause they, they have done, uh, exceptionally just well, I, you know, I'm not, you know, 
off doing some crazy things in, <laughs> a, in a in a bad community somewhere. I I feel like I've done at least half well for myself, and uh, it, I, I can relate to that only child life. But Dante and I have talked about a lot, and you know, just touching on your Oregon trip, um, the ability to play golf while seeing like the white caps on the mountains. Oh. Dante, it's something I know you and but, I both are. Is that that's a bucket list item for us both? That's uh, that's definitely a cool, unique setting. I know um, one of our listeners and uh, good friends uh, out in Utah. He's in Salt Lake, uh, Jordan Bloxham. He uh, he posted a picture right on the tee box, and then it was just like green, and then it was just mountain snow caps. It was that's definitely that was eye opening once I saw that, and I that was immediately now on my bucket list of areas and destinations to to get to for for anything golf related for sure it's really cool it was one of those things where sometimes you go to a city and there's nothing to do after your round or there's nothing to do before the round but this was one of those things where we'd get up and you know go for a long walk on the trail or after we were done we'd go rent bikes or it was just something where there was always something to do so that's definitely one that one that stands out to me and it was like really far away which when you're young traveling that far is really cool so (laughs) (laughs) i mean you went from corner to corner pretty much (laughs) i don't think i could go farther so (laughs) that's awesome and yeah i mean dante you know i don't know about where you traveled for lacrosse tournaments growing up but like in junior golf in my area i kind of just stuck to like the northeastern region of Pennsylvania, New York, a little bit of Delaware, some Virginia courses and, 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 you know, that nucleus. But, um, even, even for us, it was like, Oh, we're going past four hours. Like let's take a road trip. Come on. Like as a kid, you're just so excited to go see somewhere new. And, um, I, I think, you know, touching on a little bit of that too, if, if you got the privilege of, of following the AJGA schedule, as you said, you did, uh, they, they, like you said, they played some beautiful courses they played some world-renowned courses and um, we just had uh, Stephen Hamlin on the on the show here a week or two ago and you know just to kind of see how that's grown too from a junior golf side of things I'm sure even from when you went through um, to to how it is now it's just the the world-renowned name of AJGA like you said it's just it's the premier junior league other than like the u.s kids and they're they're both kind of great in their own right but it's neat to see the schedule that they produce every year it is. Yeah. And if, going back to one thing about travel, my parents and I always had like an eight hour cutoff. So if we was within eight hours, we would drive. If it was outside of eight hours, then we would fly. So that was just something that was funny because that would pretty much get us to Pinehurst or to <laughs> Atlanta. Um, so anywhere within that area, you know, from Pinehurst down, um, we would, we would drive, but the AJGA, it's, it's not something you can go into blindly and I think it's really hard to do it without some guidance and I think that my parents did a good job of you know figuring it out but looking back on it I mean it's crazy there's points there's stars you have to have this many stars to get this many points and qualify for this tournament and this tournament and it's it's a whole system I mean you can travel anywhere to try and qualify for a tournament or you can qualify with points you have to spend your certain points here certain points there qualify for certain events it's a mess looking back on it now. And I mean, obviously they know what they're doing and it works very well, but looking back on it, I don't know how, like you said, how we figured it out, having that been our only try. So I understand <laughs> people have like an older brother that was five years ago and they did it once, but, um, but yeah, I think obviously we figured it out. So yeah, but it, you, you touched on it perfectly. I mean, it's, I, I had a very good friend of mine, you know, uh, who actually started the show with and, and, uh, he's kind of taken another job, which has taken his priorities other ways. But, uh, Isaiah played a lot of, uh, AJGA and he would always kind of come back to our home course and, and we, you know, practice with each other every day as kids do when they just looking to get out of the house and he would try and explain everything to me. And like, as I was a kid growing up, I was like, what like what do you mean stars points what is it all like don't you just go play like he's like no there's so many different rankings and this that and the other and i'm like boy i'm glad i just play like the the philadelphia section of the junior pga or something like that like something a lot more simpler to to wrap my my head around and um i I had never just gotten to the point when i was a junior that i was that competitive and and could really produce you know enough scores to to go play reasonably well on an ajga event but it like you said it's it's great what they're doing there obviously they figured out something that works because it's been long standing, long lasting. But uh, yeah, it's it's crazy if you want to dive into it. You learn a lot. I mean, they they teach you not only how to compete in a golf tournament, but you're writing thank you notes to every sponsor. You're learning how to play fast. You're learning how to fill your divots and do community service. It's 
it's a lot more than just um, just junior golf events, and that's what I don't think people understand that when they see the high tournament fees or they see, you know, that it is expensive. It's an expensive tour and golf's an expensive sport, but you learn a lot more than just how to shoot even par, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, let, let's transition right into that. You learned how to shoot even par very early in life. Um, and, and, you know, coming out of high school actually qualified for your first women's us open. Um, take us through that. So you, you came through junior, golf you you got into high school and we're obviously playing at a very elite level um what was that what was that like the first time you had the opportunity to qualify for the u.s women's open yeah so we would play qualifiers a lot played for qualifiers every year whether that was you know here or in georgia or in a different state texas like i said we would qualify in different places and what people don't understand is that you have a 150 person field. Well, only three or four, maybe five of those people are going to get the chance to go on um, to the actual event. With men's US Open qualifying, there's two levels. There's, um, what is it, sectional and regional or something like that? Mm -hmm. with, women, yep. with women, it's one tournament. And so it it's a lot of looking at okay, if you're staying in Florida, obviously the competition's better. If you're going to California, obviously the competition's going to be better, but they're going to take more spots. So do you risk, you know, playing against better players to have a better chance? And so what actually we ended up doing the year that I qualified was we had friends up in Maryland. Um, I don't remember what the course is called. Woodmont? Woodmont Country Woodmont. Club, I believe, okay. is, is what, well, what I had seen before. Up. And I, and I um, kind of like jumped up for joy. I was like, hey, like, I, you know, I, I've played there multiple times for, for some men qualifiers and um, growing up in Gettysburg and now being down here on the eastern shore of Maryland, uh, it's kind of right in the middle ground of, of where I grew up and, and where I'm at now. And uh, it's really neat to see that that was your spot growing up in Florida. Yeah, so we, um, we decided to go up there and play because my parents' friends lived up there. And what we didn't realize was that it was an LPGA tour stop. So all the LPGA players who didn't qualify on rankings or however they do it, I don't know, points, do they do points? Who knows? But they, it was geographically between two LPGA uh, tournaments. So there were a lot of like Laura Davies, people like that who didn't qualify on their own and were going to play in this qualifier. We didn't realize that until we got there. So yeah, they were taking a lot of spots, but at the same time we were like, okay, um, so I'm 18 and, uh, can't hit it very far. So we'll see how this goes. So we went out and, uh, it was 36 holes in one day for the women, um, which most people don't practice that walking. Um, I mean, yeah, sure. You can do it in a cart all day long. That's different. Um, yeah, I could play 72 holes in a day if I'm in a cart, you know, like that's completely different. You're walking miles and miles and miles. So went up there, um, course was playing so unbelievably hard. I qualified with, I believe it was 77, 72, 77, 73 or something like that. If that tells you how hard the course was playing. Um, people underestimate the undulation and just like mountain range in, in that area of Maryland too. Yeah. Woodmont's not a flat course by any means. And like you kind yeah. of alluded to, when you're walking that much throughout the day, 36 is a grind. It's not only a grind for your golf swing, it's a grind for your legs and you're, you know, you have to stay fueled and that's things that you don't necessarily think about when you're 17, 18 years old <laughs> and even younger, you're just like, okay, I'm going to go play 36. I think that's one of the biggest, uh, the hardest parts is staying hydrated and make sure you're actually eating. Cause I mean, you know, for like maybe hopefully for like an average weekend round, you're, four four and a half hours but i mean some of these pro events are five hours maybe five hour plus so you know you're out there for a long period of time so you double that that's 10 11 hours and if you're not properly you know hydrating i mean that can really take a toll on your game physically and mentally down the stretch so that's it's it's a it's a big thing big factor and something that my coach told me very early on the first coach that i had was that you know you're hydrated if you're going to the bathroom. If you're drinking like five bottles of water and you haven't gone to the bathroom, you're not hydrated. First of all, period, before you got out to the golf course. But second of all, like <laughs> you need to just keep drinking. Um, so that's, you know, for the average golfer out there, that's a good thing to maybe remember. But um, it was a very surreal moment when I did qualify. Um, 
you know, it was my senior year of high school. I just graduated. I think it was, I knew I was going to go to uh, university in North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I was wearing this uh, Carolina blue outfit. Me and my dad were matching because we always did when he was caddying for me. At the time I was sponsored by Loudmouth golf, which is the really obnoxious golf clothing. Um, and of course, when you're sponsored, when you're 17, 18, basically they just send you stuff for free. You don't get paid for it or anything, but yeah. it was fun. And so, you know, we had, we were decked out in Carolina stuff at the Carolina golf bag. And, um, so it was, it was just really fun to see it all kind of come to life within a couple months. Now let's talk about loudmouth for a second. Is, is that a direct representation of your personality and just kind of how you approach the day-to-day life? Because there, there's some pretty flamboyant uh, gear you got going on there. It is. Um, yeah, I would say I'm pretty loud, outgoing, <laughs> <laughs> extroverted for sure. Um, yeah, I would say that's that's pretty accurate. Love it. Absolutely love it. No, that's cool. <laughs> I had to ask because, you know, you see some – Pro and more, I shouldn't even say some pros. You see John Daly out there in, in loudmouth. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, we're going to, we're going to touch on that here in a minute. And I think we're going to connect some dots, but uh, you know, the only, the, the Arkansas great John Daly is out there in loudmouth. And then uh, you know, you ended up transferring to Arkansas. Um, talk us through that. You know, what did you see in the Arkansas program that just made you say, you know what, you know, that, that fits me better. Um, and I'm really going to find my, my home there rather than, you know, kind of where I came out through for high school. Cause I think a lot of people, um, are, are, are afraid of that change when they, when they choose somewhere outside of high school and say, well, that's my school. So many people might even feel trapped. I would say in, in like yeah. saying, Hey, yeah. I'm here. Uh, I got to stay here. I chose this place. And like, you know, you, you stepped maybe even a little above that and said, well, I'm going to go find a second home. You know, what was, what all went into that decision to, to choosing Arkansas as your, your home? Well, going out of high school, I was always the kid who, you know, you'd see somebody on Twitter on, in the newspaper, oh, they're transferring, whether it was for football, basketball, whatever, golf. I was like, how could they do that? How, like, I could never imagine transferring from UNC. Oh my God, it's amazing. Like I could, I could never, I could never, I will never be that person. Like I, I was always very vocal about that with my parents. Like, how could people do that? I don't understand. Like, how could you just, you, I have all these clothes. Like, what do I have to do? Like, give like, you know, just little stuff like that you think about when you're 18 years old and, um, you know, recruiting is, is, uh, I don't know how to say this without, you know, saying it badly, but it's a lot. And when you're 18 and, you know, things are shiny and new and exciting in front of you, sometimes things are portrayed the way that they're not. And that's all all I will say about that. But I, when I decided to transfer, I actually confided in one of my best friends at the time, Gabby Lopez, who now plays on the LPGA. Uh, She just won the, what was it? The Diamond Resorts Tournament Champions this year. And we had traveled. She played all the AJGAs too. So we had just grown up um, playing together. And she was just one of my good friends, whether that was on the golf course or not. I called her one day and I was like, dude, I don't know what to do. Like I'm 20 years old and I'm not happy. And that's, I mean, come on. Like you're in college, you're living the best years of your life. And that- I would say unacceptable. Just- Right, 100%. Plain and simple. (laughs) 100%. And so she's like, she said, you know what? I'm going to talk to Shauna, which is the coach at Arkansas. Not about me or anything, just simply like what I would do. Because I couldn't go to my current coach and say, hi, you know, I want to transfer. How do I go about doing that? Like that's, I would like to get a little, I was wanting to get a little bit of intel to where I could at least know what to expect, what my first step was, if any step, you know? And so she talked to Shauna, who obviously, if you know anything about recruiting rules, Shauna couldn't talk to me without written consent from my Mm -hmm. current coach. It's a whole mess. But anyway, that was kind of what opened the door for me. I was really good friends with Gabby Lopez. I was really good friends with Regina Placencia, who was also on the team, and then Summer Rochelle. Um, All three of those girls were in my class. And we had always just been friends growing up. So it was kind of a foot in the door for me as far as knowing the girls and knowing that they would be a good fit for me. And then Gabby talked to Shauna about me and Shauna was like, Oh, well, like maybe we should have her out for a visit. (laughs) And so it just kind of progressed that way. It was the only school I visited when I was looking at transferring. Um, and it is, incredible like people think oh Arkansas there's a bunch of chickens and cows like yeah there are but there's also like a million people in the city where the school is and it's it's a lot more than poultry farming and Walmart and um 
you know, Tyson chicken. It's a lot more than that. So <laughs> the facilities are amazing. The school is beautiful. Um, they had a broadcast program there, which was ended up really being good for me. Um, so that was a very long winded answer, but that's kind of what went into, um, me transferring and kind of how it got started. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm glad for every last bit of that long-winded answer because, you know, you look at, uh, at decisions like that and it's never a short, easy process for, I would say, probably 99% of people. Maybe the 1% out there like, yep, I'm just going. Like, you know, but the rest of the people probably struggle with, with that decision and, and, you know, no transfer is easy. Um, so I think it's really cool to have that insight and, and know that, you know, at the end of the day, you just leaned on good friends that yeah, uh, happened 100%. to be at Arkansas. And I think that's probably the number one thing people can take from that is just lean on your good friends when you're kind of maybe struggling and, and out there not knowing what the future holds for you, but you know, it's not where you're at. Exactly. And I don't think looking back on it that I should have had such a closed mind towards transferring. There's nothing wrong with it at all. People do it all the time. And at the end of the day, I'm a big, I'm a big advocate for your happiness is more important than anything else. If you wake up and you're not happy in the, like right when you wake up, when you have zero things to be upset about, if you wake up in the morning and you're not happy, do something to fix it. And if you're not doing something to fix it, then you're part of the problem. So <laughs> and at that point in my life, I wasn't doing anything about it. And I was feeding that unhappiness. And I was not going to stand for that anymore. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm such a proponent of that. Um, you know, I think, uh, Dante and I have talked so many times about this. Uh, it's kind of why we started this podcast. It's like, you know, if we, if we aren't even happy at our day jobs, let's do something that makes us happy at the end of the day. Um, and, and that was talking golf with other like other like-minded people, whether it's in the industry or, or, or folks that just love the game. And, and by at the end of the day, you know, if that's all it ends up being for us, if it ends up just us talking, with other people in the industry and, and us shooting a shit about golf for two hours a day, then you know what? That's pretty cool. Cause it makes us happy. And, and, and that's kind of, you know, what I would say to anybody out there, if there's something, anything that makes you happy, you know, chase it a little more than you think you already are, because it, it could just turn out to be something, not only that just ends up making you happy at the end of the day, it could be your full-time job. Exactly. And I think a lot of the things that I learned when I was transferring and even now with what I do now, you can find anything on Google anything on Google. You can find out how to transfer. You can find out how to start a podcast. You can find out literally anything you want to do. If you think, I don't know, knitting a blanket will make you happy. Sure. Google it. You know what I mean? Like there's so much free information on the internet. And I don't think that people understand that there, you have resources right in the palm of your hand. So um, that Google's insane. I literally reached out to a friend for some help who's in a different profession and he didn't necessarily know the answer. And he goes, yeah, it's probably on Google. And I'm like, <laughs> why do I even, I, I have this thing where I don't, I, I just want to like maybe go to the source and see if they have an answer. And when they come back and say, Hey, Google it. I, I just said, why did I even bother asking him? I'm just going to go straight to Google myself and find out the answer. I just, it just, it was just hilarious just to see that. <laughs> Check Google. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hilarious, and and I'm gonna shamelessly plug uh, one of probably my favorite business podcasts, uh, Gary V. On that, he always says the same thing. He's like, "Hey, Google's your mother now." Mm. You know, it's like if you need something figured out, don't waste the time in sending a question to somebody else. Just Google it; you'll probably get it done ten times faster. A lot of the things I've done, you know, in my new house here, just in the past few weeks, learn how to sand and paint a baseboard, learn how to, you know, replace a kitchen sink, learn how, I mean, there's everything, there's literally everything. So don't take it for granted. Yeah. If you're willing to watch a YouTube video long enough, you could probably figure some <laughs> stuff out. <laughs> learn a lot of stuff. <laughs> so let's, let's talk Razorbacks. Let's talk Arkansas Razorbacks. Um, first off, I want to know what the culture is like in just the football side of things. I got to know what the inside of that stadium looks like. I've seen videos, but I got to know from the inside source, what, what does a Saturday afternoon in Arkansas look like? So one of the things that people don't think about before I get into like the physicality of what it looks like is Arkansas is the only really relevant D1 school in Arkansas. There's no pro teams. We don't have NBA, no NFL, nothing. So anywhere you go, people live and breathe the Razorbacks. And that's something that going from UNC, when there's UNC, Duke, Wake Forest, you know, there's everything, NC State, all right there. It was less 
less of a loyal fan base. You know, you could go to the store and see seven different t-shirts. It was, there was everything. When you go to Arkansas, it's, that is it. And so you would go, we would go out to eat as a team and people would recognize us. And it was like, just, it was completely different and definitely something that I didn't think about because nobody really thinks about Arkansas to begin with, but it's something that I didn't think about until I was there. Um, however, SEC game days are something else. They are, I mean, tailgates with the team, tailgates with all the other teams, um, walking on the field with recruits, um, inside the stadiums, insane, student sections, insane. It's, it's really, really fun. They actually redid the um, end zone of the stadium right when I was leaving. And we went back for a team reunion um, in the fall. So it was really cool to see, you know, how different things are now. And um, it's always weird, kind of makes you feel really old, but <laughs> it was fun. And it was, there was never a dull moment, even though we were so bad. Um, it's fun to cheer on a bad team, I think. It's fun to step inside any stadium, I feel like, on game day, and especially the SEC, you know, whether you're bad or not. Uh, when you step inside, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Penn State football fan. I grew up in Pennsylvania, grew up watching the Lions all the time. Um, and to just to go up on game day, even in like the mid-2000s when we were just horrible, to step inside a college stadium and to say, you know, I'm here for game day and just all the loyal fans in there, it, it's, a, it's a great atmosphere. And especially when you're in a Power 5 conference like the SEC. It is for sure. We would go to basketball games, which were a lot of fun. We would go to, I was big into gymnastic, gymnastics meets because I was roommates with gymnasts. A gymnastics team was really good when I was there. So it was, it was really fun to go to a bunch of different sporting events. It was fun at UNC as well, but um, more fun when you're happier, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the end all be all is happiness. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think I'd love to know, you know, you talked about your friends kind of being the reason and why you made that jump. Um, let, let's talk golf at Arkansas. Let's talk, you know, how much success you Gabby Lopez and the entire team really had um, while you were there, because it seems like, you know, you guys were able to team up and really do some awesome things while you were on campus. Yeah. So we were all really close friends. And I think that that came before golf and Shauna, the coach really knew how to, cultivate a culture that was more than just golf. And I think she understood and kind of railed it in our heads that the team is more important. And if you have a team that gets along and a team that wants to win, then the team will want to win together. And she would always say one of the best things that she ever taught me was everybody is going to do what's on their to-do list. So you have a to-do list and it says, I'm going to the store, get my tires fixed, you know, all that stuff. But difference between people who are successful and the people who are not is people who do the possible, not just what's on your to-do list. So if you do what's on your to-do list and you still have hours left in the day, go do something else that will further your success. Um, and that was something that we worked on every single day. Um, practices were fun. They were hard. I mean, it was, you get to the, you get to the course and you have a sheet of paper of things you have to complete. She's got drills set up everywhere and we've got amazing facilities. We had a chipping, um, a chipping area, chipping and pitching that was designed by, um, who's the guy that does the putting? I can't think of his name. Dave Pels? Yes. So we had a putting station that was designed by Dave Pels, which had all the one, two, and three, four percents for aim point. We had a pitching station that was designed by him as well that went up from, they had many greens from 10 yards all the way up to 110 yards. Um, so really just dialing in those yardages, dialing in your putting, getting consistent with things is the way that Shauna taught us to be successful. And ultimately we were. So it was, it was, fun. It was different than what I was used to, not only here being by myself practicing, um, but at UNC, it was different as well. So every coach has their own philosophy, but obviously it's working pretty well for her. So 
Yeah, I would say she's done a phenomenal program. It seems like, you know, each and every year there's at least a contending team um, down there. And it's really cool to see that, you know, she's she's built, I, I feel like, and, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but she's built kind of just a, a consistency in which the message always stays the same within players that continue to come in. And, you know, I, Dante, I think we saw it yesterday with, with Coach Grumman too. Um, w- when you build something that works, initially you, you you don't want to change much you know you, you look at kind of what you've built what you've instilled in kind of the you know founding class that you had or whenever the coach came in that she had um and then you just kind of rinse and repeat and get better in little increments along the way and it seems like she's done a phenomenal job of being able to do that down there with your program definitely and she one of the biggest things that she was really good at was talking to people and understanding that everybody's different. So the way that she talked to me wouldn't work for how she would talk to Summer Rochelle, wouldn't work for how she talked to Gabby. She understood that every single person needed to be talked to differently in terms of the golf game. Like she could come at me and be like, get your shit together. Like you, you know, you're do, you did this and this and this wrong. And this is, you know, this is how we're going to fix it. But if she did that to another one of our girls, she'd start bawling. So there's just different approaches and a lot of coaches don't understand that you can't treat every girl the same way. You probably can with men because, you know, men don't have emotions, but women are different. So it, it was one of the things that really made a difference in our team. Um, and it, in turn, that taught us the same thing was you, you can't have the same attitude as you do with everybody. And you have to learn how to treat people in their own specific way that will best benefit them, them and you in that friendship, relationship, teammate. So that was one of the things that she, she taught me and the cult that really helped cultivate a good team culture. Yeah. And I mean, let, let's keep, you know, going on that subject is just the good team culture. You guys didn't only have like one or two uh, ladies that consistently poked their, their noses into the LPGA ranks. You guys had like a consistent bunch of you that were always kind of given LPGA qualifiers a chance and, and, and ultimately did qualify for some LG, LPGA events. Um, talk us through what that was like, kind of just seeing your teammates succeed alongside of you um, as, as you and, and Gabby and other teammates were able to kind of, you know, punch through and play in some LPGA events. Yeah. So one of the, one of the big things in recruiting at Arkansas was that there's a Walmart LPGA event right up the road. And with the team, you get, the team is awarded one automatic qualifying spot and then two qualifying spots for the Monday qualifier. So the top person leading in strokes average stroke average is automatically in the LPGA event without qualifying. The next two people get into the Monday qualifier and have a chance to qualify. Um, that's a pretty big selling point when it comes to recruiting. Um, even though it is only once a year, it's an awesome opportunity for girls. Um, it was an op- awesome opportunity for me. I got to qualify for the tournament um, in the Monday qualifier, ended up winning the Monday qualifier. So to see not only me qualify, but to see Gabby and um, Regina and then come along Maria Fossey yeah, they're your best friends, but you want to beat their ass. So it, it's a good, it's a good, it was a good, healthy competition. And it was nice, you know, seeing people succeed and it still is awesome to see them succeed. I'm obviously in a different place in my golf game. Now I kind of suck, but back then it was, it was a lot of healthy competition and it was Gabby and Regina and Maria and summer. They were all people you could go to and say like, Hey, you know, I'm having this problem where, you know, mentally I just can't get over this. And even though they were your best friends, and your competition, they would still help you through things. And so we really had a great team. Like I, it's, it's going to sound like I'm just making it up, but we really did have a great relationship with everybody. No, I think, I think it just speaks to the, the women that you guys were, you know, on and off the course. You look at uh, how Maria Fossey handled herself going down the stretch of the AWNA women's championship at Augusta this past year. And, you know, she's putting her arm around her competitor who was kind of, you know, down the stretch, especially the last couple of holes and all aspects kicking her ass i mean five straight birdies in the last six holes i mean she she played phenomenal golf yet the the girls were able to kind of just come together as friends and and recognize the moment and i think that just speaks to to the type of person maria is and and just the the way that you know looking back on where she came from with with arkansas and uh, you know i i truly believe that you guys were able to do that because it just it looks like there was that kind of um character in everyone that went there yeah it was it was an awesome uh team culture that we had. And I think that that, it made me proud, obviously, to see her and 
you know, to be friends with her and see, I mean, I would hope that's the way that most people would handle it, but I know that it's not. And so it, it, it shows a lot about her and about the program that, you know, she learned some awesome stuff and she was able to give her all that day. And it, Jennifer beat her straight up and she'll say that she'll say that. So I mean, it's, uh, just as a competitor and I think any true golf fan can just sit back and recognize the, the unbelievable play that Jennifer Cupcho had down the stretch and, 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 you know, that they both had throughout the whole weekend. I mean, it was just, it was fun to watch that event. It was, and it was such a, such a, I don't know, like just something you never thought you would see, you know what I mean? Like a women's tournament at Augusta and um, to have it play out like that. I mean, you could, you could not have scripted it any better. And I don't think in the near future, anybody's going to have that ending and that companionship and that friendship um, so it was it kind of set the bar really high. I was just going to say sure. like, it's unfortunate, but like fortunate that it went that way because you look at it and like you said, you couldn't have written a movie any better than, than the way it went down and, and just the, the companionship they shared through the, the, like the fierce competitors that they both were to, to wrap their arms around each other on several moments down the stretch was just, it was just something that was so special. I'm still what? trying to find the replay on uh, YouTube somewhere. <laughs> Hoping that gets posted. Is it on, on masters.com? I didn't see anything, but if it is, well, I know what I'm doing in the next <laughs> next few hours. <laughs> yeah, it was it was just so cool. And, and I'm really happy to hear that that's kind of, it seems like it's instilled in that program in Arkansas. is just the, you know, the companionship, the, the, the drive to make each other better because, you know, even past your time there in the last year or two, they've found success and, and it has just really been a great program for, for the women's side of golf. And they're obviously producing, uh, you know, tour prospects on, on the ready. It seems like with, with every year, it, it seems like some, someone's coming out on tour from the Arkansas program. It's just like the conversation we had uh, last night. It's that where we came from, it's that family like atmosphere. I remember, you know, I, I didn't play golf at the time. I, I ended up playing um, lacrosse up at Marywood and we had a, a shooter shirt um, that we would actually wear uh, pregame and right on the front of the chest, it said family. And just like what Dalton was saying with the golf team and with coach Grumman and what you're saying with your program at Arkansas, it, it just kind of comes down to that root word of just family and just that essence of if you just, have that you know i mean you can see a lot of great things and like you're just saying i mean it it speaks for itself definitely i definitely didn't think that arkansas was somewhere i was going to end up um i when i went on my recruiting trip i literally had to google where it was on a map i had no idea where it was i had no idea what i was getting myself into you drive 30 minutes from the airport and you still don't see a single soul and then you get to campus and it's like you know this this big golden gate opens up and it's it's just beautiful and i knew that that it was somewhere that I wanted to be and it, it proved to be, um, to be really awesome for me. That's awesome. Can, can we get a whoop pig suey from you? Whoop pig suey. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not going to give you like the whole, like, I mean, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want an extravagant, you know, keep some, <laughs> some justice in yourself. That's, that's safe for inside the stadiums. I understand. And, and maybe holding a putt on the last, the last hole. Yeah. I, I understand. <laughs> yeah. Try to save it. You do for the right time, the right manner. Let's talk journalism a little bit. Cause that's kind of, you know, what you've seen yourself, uh, kind of the road you've, you've headed down in the, in the last few years. Um, you know, you, you talked about the broad broadcast program a little earlier, um, and how it was really critical to just where you're at now. Um, you know, was it always your dream to be a reporter on the side of golf or, or has that just developed, you know, since your time at Arkansas and being really enveloped in, in the golf scene? So I always wanted to be a nutritionist. Growing up, like that was my thing that I wanted to do since I was 14, 15 years old. I don't know why. Um, my parents are very health conscious. I grew up, you know, very around, around healthy food, healthy stuff like that. And that was just something that I wanted to do. I get to UNC. And if you don't know, UNC is a very difficult school. Physically for um, academics, it's very, it's very difficult. And um, I got there, took chemistry a few times, still didn't pass it. Um, and you have to pass a lot of chemistries to be a nutritionist. So I said, went to Arkansas and I was like, you know what, maybe it'll be different. Maybe I'll, you know, I'll try it at an easier school. I'll try it at, you know, somewhere where I can maybe, maybe get away with it. Um, tried it twice more, still didn't, still couldn't pass chemistry. 
Um, so yeah, your girl ain't very good with numbers. I still don't know what a mole is to this day. I have no idea. I will, I will let everyone in on a little secret right now. My high school chem professor yelled at me, like berated me that I will never get anywhere in life without knowing chemistry. I got through all scholastics, all academics without taking one chemistry class. And I'm okay. I'm alive. I'm, I'm alive. doing well. <laughs> I haven't thought about chemistry in months, to be I honest. Rue, so, I rue a chemistry classroom. I'm horrible at it. <laughs> so you still had to take a chemistry class for your prerequisites, whatever that, you know, the stupid stuff you have to do in college. I literally could not pass it. So I had to come home during the summer and take it at a community college. Like, I'm telling you, this is just something I could not grasp. If you wanted me to write a paper on something, I could do that all day long. I'm just, there's certain things that people are more apt to be better at. And that was not one for me. So I was like, okay, you know what? This probably ain't going to work. What else can I do? And I was always a fan of the Today Show. I was always a fan of morning news, always a fan of local news. And that's just something that me and my parents grew up watching, um, entertainment tonight we would watch every night we would, you know just just typical talk shows um and i was like dang how like how do you do that you know she's just, she's just pretty and that so she just gets me on tv or you know like how does this work so i went to go change my major and i was like oh broadcast journalism like that's interesting maybe i'll check that out took my first class you know you have to learn all about writing scripts and doing doing all the systems and shooting video and editing video and it was it was a lot, but it turned out to be so much fun. At Arkansas, they have a student-run news station. So there's no adults. It's literally just a bunch of kids. And there's, it's an actual station that's on every night on cable there. Um, so we have a 30-minute news show every night. People in the class, in the classes, TV news, will shoot their stories, will go live, stand out there, you know, I'm reporting live, it's so-and-so. <laughs> It's real and you figure it out just like you do with anything. There's a YouTube video for how to do that as well. Like there's, there's everything that there needs to be for those classes to make me successful. When I realized that um, I didn't want to play pro golf, which was going into my senior year, I said, you know, I, let me, let me rephrase that going into my fifth year. Um, so my last year at Arkansas, it was kind of a panic moment of like, Oh shit. Like, this was my plan since I was little and now I'm not going to do that. So like, I guess I have to take this pretty seriously. You know, like I have to start paying attention in class. And like, start... what, what's a plan B again? <laughs> Literally, like I didn't, I had no, I didn't understand, you know, I had to get a job, like apply for a job. I don't understand what you mean. And so I went to my professor and the department head and I still to this day would trust him with my life. And I said, do you think I could do this? Like, or should I just, you know, go work at a bar for the rest of my life? Like, do you think I could actually do this? And he was like, yeah, but you need to like put in some more work and actually get better. And I was like, okay. So we started going over things every week. He would, you know, rip apart my, my live shots and my packages and we would just started to get better. And then I got a job right out of college. The day after graduation, I moved to Colorado Springs. Two days later, I was on TV. So it, it works if you work it. That's awesome. So now I, I, I want to hear both sides of things, but first let's go down the, the, the path of what would you say for the girls that like end up choosing the, all right, I'm going to go make a grind at it and I'm going to go try and play professional golf. You know, what would you say for the girls out there that are chasing either college golf or professional golf to say, like, if you make that choice, kind of here's what's waiting for you and, and, you know, how can you make that happen? I guess is, is what I'm wondering. Oh, I don't really know that I have a good answer for you for that solely because I never really looked into how I would have to do it. Um, I knew that I would have to go to Q school. I knew I would have to practice a lot and you lost me right there. Like <laughs> I, I was never a practicer. My dad is somebody who could sit out on the range for six hours with 10 buckets of balls and he would be in heaven. Me, I, I hit like balls. Dad. He's a good guy. <laughs> and I am so bored. I'm like, where's my phone? Where's my speakers, Deb? Like, I'm so bored. Like, like can I, I'm going to go get a drink. Like, I'm just, I'm not, I'll be on the golf course all day for sure. Like, I'd rather play 72 holes than stand there and hit balls. It's just boring to me. And I knew that it was going to require a lot of that. And that was just something that I really wasn't willing to do. So to say the least. Um, but with anything, it's, it's something that 
you, I still believe that you have to lean on people who have done it. Like Gabby Lopez got a lot of insight from Shauna and on people before her who went before her and did it. It wasn't something that she just went in blindly mm -hmm. and now she's on the LPGA tour. Like you, it's, there's people out there who have done it, who are willing to share their experiences. And, um, especially with recruiting, talk to the people who were on your high school team or who, you know, talk to your high school coach. There's books out there. There's blogs out there that people write about recruiting. It's, it's all about talking to the ones that went before you. And I did the same thing in journalism. I mean, it's people are more willing to help than I think people realize. For some reason, I, I feel like it's the most like undercover, like, like co-ops thing that like nobody talks about is like, just talk to someone who's done it. Like, it, you know, for some reason it's this kind of not, you know, recommended thing within our society or something, but it's just like, well, if someone's just done it, go talk to them. I think a lot of people see how are, they've done it. I think a lot of people nowadays are scared to ask for help, whether that's, mm. you know, you have a problem with a relationship or a problem with, you know, school or problem with your future, your career. A lot of people are afraid to ask for help and you, you got to get over that, man. Like you, <laughs> you're going to need a lot of help and I've needed a lot of help in my life. And once you can realize that, you know, the more people you have behind you to help facilitate your path, whatever that path is, then the easier it's going to be. And you're not in this to make anything hard on yourself. And that's what I had to realize growing up was just that it's okay to ask my parents for help. It's okay to get a tutor. It's okay to, you know, if it's going to make it easier on me, then why not? And so I think that's, that's something people should, should be more apt to do. And I mean, everybody struggles with it, but Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I, I personally can say the same that through college, you know, it was just kind of like, I don't know if it was a, not necessarily an ego thing, but it was like, well, duh, like you don't need to go get help for that. Like you can do this on your own. Like, of course you can, because you've never had help with it in the past. And, and the minute you kind of, I, I feel like for me anyway, the minute you kind of bridge that gap and, and reach out for help once is really all it takes. And then you get like, okay, well, well, that really wasn't so bad. Like I, I can go out for help in other things and, and it kind of snowballs, but it's, it's people making that first commitment to themselves of like, all right, I'm just going to go get help. Cause at, at the end of the day, it is going to be easier for me. Definitely. And that's all it is, is. That's all life is really is how can I make this the easiest, most successful way, whether, I mean, that's anything obviously, but um, that was something that I really leaned on in journalism, going to my professors, going to, going to Gabby when I needed help on transferring, you know, I'm just so not afraid to ask for that. And I think that that's something that's really helped me in my career and in, in my, in my golf life. Sure. No. And, and I love that. I think it's, you know, the more people hear that, I hope the more they try it and the more it helps them in their own lives. Cause I think it's, uh, it's like you said, everyone deals with it in some way, shape or form, I feel like. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we can at least convince a couple of people today to, 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 to try it out at least, you know, I hope so as well. Yeah. So now you, you talked about being out in Colorado Springs and then, you know, obviously, you know, we reached out and since then you, you've taken a job at the golf channel. So, so take us through what that journey was like, you know, you, you were out in Colorado Springs and then you, you were picked up in Orlando. So, so how did you go about coming back home per se and, and picking up a job within the golf industry? Sure. So I left, I left home when I was 18, obviously to go to college, just like most people do, but I hadn't been home since I was 18. I mean, for holidays and stuff like that, sure. But a lot of people after school, you know, they move back to where they were from or since they don't really go very far, you know, stuff like that. So I went to Colorado Springs, knew nobody, um, figured it out. Like just with anything, you figure it out. Like it's trial and error and you'll figure it out. But it was tough. It was really tough. I was alone. I was young. Um, I had no idea like how to pay a utility bill. Like I didn't know how to set up Wi-Fi. Like it was all these things that you take for granted when you live on a college campus and then you get out in the real world and you're 23 and you're like, I have to get a credit card, don't I? And like you, you know, start building credit and stuff like that. But again, figure it out. It always works out. But I, um, I was a hard news reporter. So I was like on the scene, on the story, like guy gets shot in a park. I'm going, um, wow. So wow. it, was, it was tough for a 23 year old, you know, it's something that they don't teach you in college that I think for the program, um, that I was in, they need to be more transparent about. And I've since gone back and talked to my professors about that. Um, but it's a lot. And I remember this one specific night I was on call, which they always have a reporter on call 
And um, there were three shootings in the span of maybe an hour and a half from like one to three in the morning or so. And I remember when I saw this kid laying in the street, I was like, nope, this ain't for me. This ain't for me. Like I'm tapping out right here. You know, you go home and you're, that's all you think about. I was not somebody who could, who could very easily leave it at work. Um, and I think it, people get harder and harder, you know, thick skinned when they're in the industry for longer, but I was so fresh. I was, I was never taught how to do that. And I was just like going home and having nightmares about this kid laying in the street. And I was like, nope, the same for me. So I immediately started looking for golf jobs and I knew that I wanted to stay in media. I knew that I liked, I liked the Twitter part. I liked the Facebook part. I liked Facebook lives. I liked doing stuff when I could go to the County fair and eat a funnel cake. Like I liked doing stuff like that, but I didn't, I didn't want to um, talk about dead people every day. So that's ultimately what it came down to. And I saw a desk editor position working on the website at golf channel and I didn't know anybody who worked there. I didn't, I mean, even though it's in here in Orlando, I applied online just like everybody else did. And I honestly, growing up, I thought that if you applied online, that it just like went into the abyss. <laughs> you have to know somebody or, you know, I don't, I never thought that if you applied to indeed.com that it actually goes to somebody, but it did. And, um, I was, I was, I interviewed with golf channel. I was flown down here for an interview and I was hired all within seven days. So it was, um, it was, it was really awesome. And ever since then, my bosses are incredible. I mean, we have, we have a great team. We have a great relationship. I'm lucky to have never had like a bad coworker or a bad boss at either of my jobs, but, um, it's fun. I mean, I get to tweet about golf. Like what, I mean, what, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you know, at the end of the day, you're in the golf industry now, you know, like, welcome to the party. I feel like, you know, there's not too many, there's not too many folks, uh, even I guess in other sports, I guess the sports industry as a whole is, is a very large industry. But when you talk about golf in particular, um, it, it's kind of a small industry, you know, when you look at a grand scale of everything. Um, and it's cool that, you know, you're finally a part of that. And, and, you know, obviously we talked about throughout the whole podcast, you growing up in the game, you playing the game for, you know, what seems like forever, I'm sure. And, you know, you're in, in it when college you're in it and a little bit of the professional ranks you get that feel so it, it just seems like it's it's almost like coming home not only in orlando but coming home as in just to where you belong it definitely felt like that um and it still feels like that uh, i mean obviously it's a little bit of a weird time right now and there's no golf to talk about but it's um like dealing with the majors last year and covering the majors it just felt it felt like I hadn't paid attention to golf in a while, like going through college. I was never the person who like would watch the golf channel or have golf on or know who won, you know, the 2010 U S open. Like I was never the person who would remember those moments, but now being more cognizant of it and, and really being conscious about paying attention to those things. It's, it's amazing what you learn. It's amazing. You know, the people you see and the people you meet and, it's just been a really fun journey and I'm grateful to have the team that I do because it's grateful to have the team that I I'm grateful to have the team that I do because it's made it a lot more fun. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you're very new to the industry, but uh, what's maybe the one coolest hands down coolest experience you've had so far that you could just look back on and just still can't believe to this day that it actually happened. Um, so I don't travel for my job. Um, but I did, I'd say maybe there's two things. I went to the Honda classic last year and I covered, covered the event alongside Randall Mel, which is one of their senior writers. And it was really awesome to get to interview the players in a scrum, you know, like right there with the media. Um, it was, it was right when Justin Thomas, I don't know if you remember this, but he hit a root on the 10th hole and kind of injured his wrist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was standing there when he did it. And then right when we, when we came in and he was up on the podium, you know, they, in case you don't know how PGA tour media, you know, conferences go, they kind of, the media officials kind of start and they say, okay, you know, we're here with Justin Thomas, Justin, tell us a little bit about your round. And so Justin will kind of go a little bit through his round and then kind of just stops and then waits for questions. Mm -hmm. So we were all standing there when Justin had stopped talking and 
I, nobody was saying anything. And I was like, is, is really nobody going to ask about the risk thing? Like I was just, (laughs) I don't, I don't have to be this person right now. Do I? And so I just, I go, I literally remember, I go, so, um, can we talk about the elephant in the room? Um, can we talk about your shot on the 10th hole and how's your wrist feeling? And he just started cracking up. And I just remember being like, I really, I, these guys are veterans and no, they were scared to ask or something. And Listen, it was just- no, no offense to in the industry. Dante and I've seen it kind of firsthand and, and, and obviously we are super new to the industry. So and don't consider ourselves, you know, <laughs> seasoned by any means, but it's like, those are the questions that you're just like, you haven't asked that really right. like, come on. Like, I mean, as reporters, as someone, especially in your shoes, that's standing right there, saw it firsthand out on the course, you know, I understand a little bit of maybe confidentiality and like help, you know, keeping these players. And, and, and I think it all boils down to And Dante and I've talked about this off camera before it boils down to tiger being such a vault in the past of like injuries and, and, and they've taken that mentality of, oh, we can't talk about it. Yeah. We can't talk about it. And, or even if we asked, we're not going to get an answer. So I like to see, you know, I like to see the questions like that because I think the newer guys on tour are so much more transparent and being able to talk about it. Yeah. um, I definitely agree. I would say that the other thing that stands out to me is um, so I work from home all the time, except if I, I mean, if I want to go in, I have a desk, but I don't because why would I? But um, <laughs> for the majors, we go into the office to just kind of have more so, you know, hey, I'll handle that. Hey, you get this as, as opposed to wasting time on Slack and trying to divvy up, you know, mm-hmm. you know jobs. So for the, for the masters, obviously was incredible in 2019 when Tiger won. Um, but it was awesome to be in the newsroom. Our, our desks are right in the middle of where golf central is. And I sit right across from Ryan Burr, Lisa Cornwell, Cara Banks, like we're all, we're all right there. And just to kind of hear everybody kind of collectively be like, holy shit, like this is <laughs> like really about to, he really is about to do this. And then when he won, just kind of soaking it all in and being surrounded by so many people who cared about it. Like, it just seems so weird, you know, working in the industry and, Obviously, you know, if I was at home watching with my parents, they would care about it as well. But being in the building with 100, 200 people who were just ecstatic about the content that it was going to produce was was really awesome. And that was something that I'll never forget. And I still um, claim a little bit of that victory because it's kind of ironic that he did it when I just started working for Golf Channel. (laughs) We don't need to go into that. So I mean, hey, as (laughs) as long as you stay there and the boss man gets a few more wins. You can exactly. <laughs> Listen, I mean, we, I mean, we all saw, we all saw it, but you were pretty much in the heart of it. I mean, we experience one, if not one of probably the greatest comeback stories in sports history. Uh, I mean, you, just in sports history alone, that whole what went down has just is will always forever be talked about. I mean, you were right there in, in like front lines of it. So, I mean, that's that's something special to definitely say, yeah, yeah. I just started this job and well, yeah, Tiger just won and I was there. Like a content, you know, the content gods opened up for us and it was just pretty surreal to kind of sit there and, and hit the tweet that said like Tiger Woods won the masters, you know, that's, that's always a story where you can visualize where exactly at what point and what moment you were where you were at what time, what day when that happened. I mean, I visually, I uh, visually remember like they pushed the tee times earlier because of the rain, the, mm-hmm. you know, the forecast of the rain. And, you know, I was out with the group of my buddies playing, playing around. And I remember I was pulling up. Uh, we just teed off on this, our 16th hole, which is a part of three. And as we were pulling up, coming to the green, there was a group in front of us and they just stopped. They all had their phones out and they were watching it live right on the spot. Like I'll always remember that, and that's just something that's that's pretty wild. That I can't imagine having the the Twitter thumb to the Golf Channel account during a time <laughs> like that. Like, like everyone knows the internet's about to break anyway, and then you mm-hmm. have you have the official thumb on that button. That that had to be pretty surreal. It was really awesome. My team handles the Golf Central account, which is more so what they're trying to make more of, like the news. Whereas Golf Channel is more so, you know 
the memes and the, mm-hmm. you know, the more fun stuff, but golf central is the one that we run. And it was, um, I saved that tweet. Um, so I can put it on my resume cause it got a lot of likes. <laughs> <laughs> Screenshot Welcome to 2021. That. <laughs> Screenshot that print it out and throw it in a, uh, in a, like a plaque. Exactly. Actually, um, the president, president Trump retweeted my tweet. That day. So, so you got some street cred. I well, you could say I have some clout. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hey, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time out this evening. I know you're you're busy moving into your your new house and and you know trying to stay somewhat busy during these times. So uh, thanks again for the time, guys. That is Samantha Marks, uh, current Golf Channel editor and journalist staff. So thank you so much for the time. We 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 truly appreciate it. Of course, you guys are great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much. One shot at a time.